Good afternoon. I'm Daniel Guest, and welcome to the Imagine Golf Podcast, brought to you by Imagine Golf and PXG. You can go to our site, ImagineGolf.com, see all of our offerings, including our free practice drills, our practice plans, our golf ebooks or videos, or to book a lesson with me at our state-of-the-art studio right outside of Philadelphia, or even virtually through our partner, GolfLiveApp.com. And you can sign up for our free tips and videos that go out once a week, every week, by simply dropping us your email. So today's podcast, I'm super excited. It's been a long time coming. Um, I have um, the Elon Musk of Wedges, Terry Kaler on. Hi, Terry. Hey, hi, Daniel. How are you doing today? I'm really good. Hot ring intro. <laughs> well, look, man, I, I, I meant it, man. And because um, you're going to talk about your background, but um, I, I've been in the golf business now for over 45 years and I can't, I don't remember or can't talk about anybody like yourself that has more more street credibility, for lack of a better, Terry, on the average guy's game, right? Was that Would that be fair? Yeah, and that's really always been my focus. You know, the tour players have plenty of attention from some great people. And, you know, I think that I've learned through robotic testing and talking to hundreds, if not thousands of golfers, that wedge play is is where people need the most help and, and the clubs they have in their bag really aren't helping them. And that's kind of profound, but uh, but I can, you know, I have proof of that and we'll talk more about it. Yeah. So let me, let me just uh, let the listeners know like how I got to Terry, if you would. So uh, like Terry, essentially it, it just encapsulated it's, it, everything that you just said, Terry, is what I found out as well. Now I'm not a club designer. Um, I'm just a regular golfer that turned golf pro. Right. And, and I noticed the same thing that you just said that, look, game improvement irons came out. I remember the first like Taylor made game improvement and that was like a, um, a game changer for, for the industry and, and the everyday golfer. Right. And, and then even super game improvement irons came out. Um, and I remember like the first set of like the ping G maxes or whatever, with this huge bounce, huge soul on the bottom of them. And it really allowed golfers to have another, another level of golf that they didn't experience before. Cause the clubs were more forgiving and they were, the technology was real. And then you look in that same player's bag, the guy that's like a 20 handicap, right? You look in that player's bag and what do you see? A Volky wedge, right? <laughs> a, ta- a tailor-made tour wedge, if you would, essentially a blade. And I thought to myself, man, there has got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. Um, and I got introduced to a company that you used to be affiliated with and probably was your firm for all I know, was Score Wedges. Um, and I, I literally just... You used to give away for free, and I think you still do now in your new new uh, endeavor, if you would. But you know, I signed up. They show up, and I'm like, these things are the real deal. I mean, the absolute real deal. And I end up playing four of them um, when I haven't had four wedges in my bag in a long time, maybe if not ever. And I played four of those wedges until the grooves actually just wore off, man. So it was, uh, you know, and it was a game changer for me. And we sold a lot, of, a ton of them, if you would. So why don't we kind of go through, Terry, your background, if you would, um, and how you even got into the space? Well, um, yeah, that's a, it's been an interesting world. I'm 71 years old. I feel 40, but um, most days, but, uh, and I'm so blessed with that, but I literally, Daniel, do not remember life before golf. I grew up in a golf household. My dad was a good player. My mom played. Um, and so as a little kid, my older brother and I, we were into golf from the time we could walk barely. And because um, it was really important to my dad, long with hunting and fishing and all those other South Texas things. Yeah. But I was very blessed. My dad was a good player. So he was there for me with instruction anytime I wanted. We had a golf pro and grew up on a little nine hole golf course in a small town of 7,000 people. And so 
you know, as long as we stayed out of the men's way at 1230, we could play anywhere and anytime we wanted. And so I grew up on that little golf course and um, determined at about 12 or 13 that Little League baseball wasn't my game. And I was too small for football. So golf became my game. And my dad was uh, <clears throat> was very encouraging when we got into something to really learn all about it. So I read all about deer hunting and bird hunting and saltwater fishing and golf and golf clubs. And, you know, back then in the fifties, when I was a little kid, you know, it was about, you know, waxing those persimmon woods and making sure those irons were all clean and changing the, the metal spikes on your shoes and rubbing them down with, you know, those leather shoes, taking care of them. And I was also the grew up with my dad. We took our fishing reels apart. We took our, shotguns apart. We reloaded ammunition. So I was always about how and why things worked. I was that little kid that always took his toys apart to see how they work, right. try to get them back together. And so fast forward after college, I spent some time uh, in banking and, and got in the ad agency business. I was in San Antonio and called on the Ray Cook Putter Company, which was a pretty stalwart brand back in the in the 80s. Yeah. And um, lo and behold, I got the account. I'm in the golf business. I started meeting some other uh, small golf companies, Joe Powell out of Florida made some phenomenal persimmon woods. And, and, uh, I, um, just got really hanging around the back end of these places and learning from these craftsmen, you know, why golf clubs did what they did. And this is before the era of launch monitors and all that. You, you listen to players tell you what that golf club did. And, uh, so I was just real blessed with people sharing knowledge and designed my first putter in the mid eighties. And, um, about 1990, I designed over 100 putters for several companies, and because uh, that was always an interest of mine. And about 1990, I just really got interested in why wedge play is so darn hard. You know, now I've kind of made some good putters, and and got to looking at how wedges worked. And you know, the the maddening wedge shot is, you know, it's a little high in the face, and the ball's sitting up a little bit. You catch it a little high in the face, and it doesn't go anywhere. It pops up in the air with no spin, falls on the front bunker. But yet that cavity back iron didn't do that. And that metal driver by then didn't do that. And so it's like, why are we allowing and accepting that wedges can be so penalizing on, you know, what may be a half inch miss hit? And uh, so that began to really drive me. I started with my sole design uh, that I patented in the early 90s, putting two bounce angles on the sole. Um, and then <clears throat> when the USGA changed the rules on grooves, and we were in 2010, we were experimenting with different uh, groove geometries and just really weren't finding anything that was standout. Um, but what we did find is on a couple of wedges that I had packed a bunch of lead tape up high on the club head because I had ground on the sole. Um, these were spinning like crazy and launching lower. And that's where the score um, inspiration came from is to pr produce a line of wedges with progressive weighting so that that each wedge in the line is optimized for that loft. And we'll come back to that topic, but that's then score morphed into the reemergence of the Ben Hogan brand. And that morphed into a brief attempt at retirement for me. Um, and then I started writing my blog for golf WRX as the wedge guy and uh, which I had done for many years. And no sooner than I start that, people are saying, like you, hey, I played your score wedges. When are you going to do wedges again? And right. so here I am with Edison Golf doing what I want to do, which is pushing the envelope on wedge design. 
That's, that's that's such a great story, man. And there's so so much that we we could do just a whole podcast just unpacking that bio, man. But a couple things that you said cracked me up, man. Um, the persimmon woods, man. Remember how you used to have to wipe them down and you couldn't put them back in your bag wet, and you certainly couldn't put them in the in the trunk wet, you know, because it could be a possible problem down the road and the and the screws and stuff. And I got a 23 year old son, and when I talk to him about those days, he looks at me like I got four heads because he he doesn't even <laughs> he has no idea, right? Um, the other you know, thing, so many there are so many younger golfers even under the age of fifty who've never even hit a persimmon wood. It's and so I, true. We'll take my old Reed Lockhart persimmon driver out every once in a while just for fun. Just you know, and and that's the thing that's interesting is you know the game is as reversed hundred eighty degrees when when you were when we were young and then growing up in the fifties and sixties the driver was the absolute hardest club in the bag to master. Yeah. And and now it's the easiest club. You got this big old watermelon on the end of a shaft, and your ball's jacked up two inches in the air, and you hit it anywhere on the face, and it goes pretty good. And and uh, now they've made wedge play and putting the hardest part of the game. So yeah, that's focus is. It's interesting, man. Um, that term, you know, I hit it on the screws, man. I hit it right on the screws, right? And you, you say that anymore. And if the person's under thirty, they look at. I, I remember when the first metal drivers came out, where they actually had like the fake screws, right? Like the, the marks where the screws were supposed yeah. to be, if you would, yeah. right? The other thing, the, yeah, the other thing you said was interesting, man. The whole lead tape thing, right? I had, I was fortunate. I really only had two coaches in my entire life and they were both like the old salty, you know, kind of experts. Like you mentioned way before launch monitors. See, these guys were like experts at ball flight and just the swing unto itself, right? Um, and it was almost an artistry to be that good at it, right? Like I remember my instructors, they, they could tell just by the sound and they, they didn't have to watch where the ball was going. They knew exactly where the ball was going. Right. And yeah, they could tell by the sound practically. Yeah, that's exactly right. Right. So, and a lot of these guys, they, they, while they weren't club fitters, they understood the dynamics of a golf ball, a golf club and what it does, you know, golf is what the ball does kind of mentality. Right. So the one coach in particular I had, he was all about lead tape, right? So I had like three or four clubs and I didn't even know, you know, like, like what the lead tape did, if you would. But I know this, my wedge spun a lot more when I had wet, uh, lead tape on the back. Uh, I knew my my nine iron went farther when I had lead tape on the on the heel, if you would, because I, I was probably coming too far from the inside. So um, it was it was really interesting. Um, but those days are gone, right? That, that first of all, those types of instructors are gone, right? That the guys that you know, the tinkerers and that know all that stuff, because everything is is data oriented now. And I don't know if that's a bad thing; it's just different. Um, but the customization uh, of clubs, right? Even pros, rarely you see a pro with lead tape on the back of a wedge or on the back of a club anymore. Um, it's just interesting how that's changed. Well, and you know the the big manufacturers, you know, they'll custom build golf club heads for their guys. And there's been a few stories in the last couple of weeks about some of the guys, you know, they're tinkering with golf clubs here, you know, right. for next year. And the manufacturers always want their tour players to come up to their newest model. And you know, tour players, you know, you have to really understand. You've worked with them; those elite guys on the tour that make a living playing this game. Um, they have skills the rest of us can't even fathom. I mean, the the worst guy on the Corn Ferry Tour is better than the best club champion in the in the country. Yep. You know, and and in fact, I I was telling somebody the other day. You know, here's proof that playing golf at the highest level is harder than brain surgery, because there are only about two hundred and fifty to three hundred guys in the United States that make a living playing golf. 
And there are 5,000 brain surgeons in the United States. So therefore, brain surgery is 10 times easier than high-level golf. How's that? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, look, and that can't be overstated either, man. We work with two, we're fortunate enough to work with two guys on the Corn Ferry Tour and and they're not they're not making any money at it yet, and they're they're up in commerce, and, and we'll see. But your point is is spot on. These guys are amazing with the golf ball. I mean, amazing. First of all, their misses, their bad shots are like my my great misses, right? <laughs> and that's their worst shot. And then second of all, they never hit two bad shots in a row. I mean, never. Yeah. So they they are never out of a hole, right? So. Um, and, and the, the proximity to the hole, I mean, just everything about them, um, is, is different. The ball sounds different. The ball comes off the club different. Everything is different because they're that skilled. They are the absolute elite. Um, and then you're right. And then if you juxtapose that against the PGA guys, right. I mean, or any, or live, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, they're the elite of the elite. So, um, but Hey, why don't we talk about the, the, the wedge design? What really what really is your claim to fame, if you would, in, in the difference in the design and, and what got you there? Well, my first wedge work was really focused on the sole of the golf club. Right. And, and it was stimulated by a trip my brother and I took to Scotland in 1990. Um, and I, was, I hadn't started messing with wedges really yet. I had, I think it was a Cleveland, maybe 485 or 588 or something in my bag at the time. And because uh, I was focused on putters. and Man, I got over there and the and the tight turf, you know, in Scotland was just tearing me up. I mean, bunker was fine, but you know, that was just so much bounce on this golf club for that tight turf. And we were on a tour of Walter Looney's golf shop and I saw a grinding wheel and I just had this idea. And I asked him if I could uh, if I could come back with my wedge. And so I came back to Walter Looney's with the wedge and I and I ground the the front part of the sole all the way up to the first groove. And um, and then ground off part of the back of the of the sole to to lessen the bounce, and so I had this two bounce angles on the bottom. Well, by you know then I had to grind around on the hosel because the offset looked so terrible. Well, by the time I got through with all that, I had about a C four swing weight, and so then I just packed a bunch of lead tape on the back of the golf club, and man, the next day, man, th- this club. Two things. One is it was just handling any kind of turf. It was still great out of the bunkers, but it was handling that tight turf. It wasn't digging, wasn't skipping, but the spin was through the roof. My brother and I were both just like, holy crap, you know, <laughs> look at the way the ball is spinning here. And that's what, so I patented that sole design and, and received that patent and then began really focusing on, you know, what to do with weighting on wedges. And because of the efficiency of the sole, I could make it narrower um, and that allowed me to have room to move some mass up high in the golf club. And my first wedge designs were with the company I started called Reed Lockhart. Um, and, and what's, what's interesting. And then that evolved into, to idle on golf and that morphed into score when we did the, um, the progressive weighting and that morphed into Hogan. And then, uh, all of that has been put in the boiler and stirred around and, and came out as the Edison wedges. We just launched the second generation Edison 2.0 in this spring. But I continue to push the envelope. And, and the, the two things that drive me you know, in, in wedge design is, one, a, a, a versatile sole design, which is what I started the creation at. I continue to polish on it. And, and talk about the soul of the golf club. If you listen to most wedge ads, you'd think that nothing counts on a wedge except grooves and grinds. I call it the GG complex. Right. So right. 
the thing is, is that the sole design, these grinds that are out there, each one of them is developed by working with one very particular tour professional who, what he or she wants in that golf club. And then they just make it available to everybody. Well, these tour players, as we just talked, they can feel things that the rest of us can't. Plus, they play the same kind of sand every week and the same kind of fairway turf every week. And they play very close-cut fairways. So they can hit the ball down in that second, third, fourth groove very consistently. But, you know, even with the tour guys, you see them, you know, from 70 or 80 or 100 yards, they'll come up 40, 50, 60 feet short every once in a while. They don't misjudge the range by that. They're too good. But what happens is with conventional wedges, when impact moves up the face about a half an inch from that third or fourth groove, you start losing smash factor and gear effect. So the ball's popping up higher. It's not going as far and it's not spinning as much. And so I'm kind of the only guy out there that really talks about club head design and wedges. And yet that is the entire conversation in drivers. It's the entire conversation in irons. It's the entire conversation in putters. But nobody talks about the actual design of the club head very much in the wedge category. And that's all I talk about because the club head design influences performance a lot more than the grooves or the grinds do. So I'll take a breather there. And <laughs> well, look, you said a lot there, right? Um, I think one of the things that um, that comes to mind is, remember the old ping? Um, I don't remember what they were called, ping eyes or something. Do you remember those, Terry? Mm-hmm. The, the, I, I remember thinking like these were the most customized clubs I've ever seen in my life, right? That a regular guy could buy if you would, right? So, um, and they had the different dot system and all that stuff. But I, I remember hitting those wedges um, and thinking, wow, this is something special. Right? And by, by, by today's standards, I mean, I don't know if it really, it, I think it was probably special back then, but I, I don't really know what caused it to work. I just know that it worked. You know, uh, Well, <clears throat> that wedge was a part of my inspiration because uh, for my sole design, because that wedge had a, a very narrow sole, effective sole, but a very high bounce angle in that first third or fourth of it, third of an inch, half an inch. Paul Isinger was a master with his, um, even though he played blade irons, he played that ping wedge and was a master. And so that was part of my inspiration. And then also seeing how good low bounce wedges worked on tight turf, except that, you know, if you forward press it a little bit or the turf gets soft, it digs like a shovel. Um, and, and I take talking about the soul of the golf club for a minute. I take great challenge. Uh, I had a golf writer call me the wedge contrarian. I thought that was kind of a neat compliment. Right, right. <laughs> I take a challenge or make a challenge to this notion that you can fit bounce because the first thing I'm going to fit is turf. So what's your next wedge lie going to look like? Well, I don't have any idea. It could be soft. It could be firm. It could be in the rough. It could be on a tight clipped fairway. It could be on the fringe. I could have to hit a flop shot. I could have a bump and run. I don't know what my next lie. Well, you have to be able to tell me that so I can fit bounce to it. Or how big is your next divot going to be? Well, I don't know. I'm a 12 handicapper. I'm not personally, but you know, the average golfer is a 12 to 15. He doesn't know exactly what size his next divot's going to be. So if you if you don't have a consistent divot, and you don't play the same turf all the time, how do you fit bounce to the either of those? Right. And I, I just, I, it's physically impossible. And if you look at the tour guys, they have a fleet of equipment trailers that follow them around every week. And like they had big rain yesterday at the, at, at the PGA event, right? 
So that ground is going to be super soft today, whereas it wasn't yesterday. These guys are all going in the vans and getting higher bounce wedges for today because they're going to have to have it. And the rest of us, like, hey, I'll plunk down five, six, eight hundred dollars for a set of wedges. I'm going to play these two or three years, and they got to they got to take me everywhere I want to go. Yeah, you know, throughout the seasons, regardless, you know, the and the tour guys, for example, play the same bunker sand every week, and the rest of us, hey, I've got that bunker in front of number three green has got three different textures of sand on the same dang bunker. Well, what am I going to do here? If I'm over on the firm part of the bunker, I need a low bounce. If I'm on the fluffy part of the bunker, I need a high bounce. Well, I don't have 12 wedges in my bag, right? So, and that's where I think sole versatility has been a driving force. And then the other aspect of that is managing the mass of the club head to give you forgiveness in these high loft golf clubs. And Forgiveness in a 50-degree golf club is very different than a 35-degree 8-iron or, or 9, whatever you can put on that anymore, or, you know, or a 9-degree driver. You know, what what makes the golf club work is is very different, um, you know, when the loft changes. Yeah. And so we don't want a thin face and a cavity back on a wedge, a high-lofted golf club, because we need mass right behind the ball, the impact point. So if I make impact up on the seventh or eighth groove, count it a little high in the face, I need mass behind that ball to keep ball flight down and keep spin rates up. So yeah, so it's it's interesting. We um sorry to interrupt. But it's interesting. You um you mentioned about the tour players and how often they change out wedges. It always cracks me up when I see, especially double digit handicappers that have a wedge in there that's a favorite. You know, and I'm doing air quotes here a favorite club of theirs, right? There's still a 15 handicap and that's a favorite club of theirs. It's 20 plus years old. The grooves are almost gone on it. Um, and the technology is 20 years old, but yet that they love that club, right? And they, they, they tell themselves, you know, they're good with it around the greens or whatever, but if they were good with it around the greens, they wouldn't be a 15 handicap, right? <laughs> so it's right out of my mouth. It's like, you know, it's hard to find a 15 handicap with a great short game. I mean, yeah. they just don't exist. You know, yeah. you have a great short game. You're, you're, I mean, you know, most people with modern technology, they can move the ball north and south pretty well. They can get it from the tee to somewhere inside 50 yards pretty consistently because the equipment is so good. But, you know, the closer you get to the hole, the more skill comes into play in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, one of the things I see in in the the wet in golf club category, and you're in the fitting world, is this – and I went, I've gone out and done – like secret shopper fittings with some of the big fitters and big retailers to watch how they go about it. And invariably these guys are trying to sell you a set of golf clubs and let me build you a matching P club, as I call it an a wedge, you know, whatever. And the challenge with that is they're applying six iron technologies through this mat. Cause that's what drives everything, right? The, if you lose the, the launch monitor war, you lost the sale uh, nobody's going to buy that six iron that's 10 yards shorter than the other one. That's just not what people do. That's exactly but right. What people have not stopped to think about is in today's world, six irons are 26 to 29 degrees, right? And, and these P wedges and A wedges are 45 to 50 degrees. That's further from a six iron than your driver is. When you stop and think about it in the loft, your six iron is closer and loftier driver than it is to your A wedge or your P wedge. And nobody has ever come to you as a club fitter and say, I love my six iron. Can you make me a driver just like it? Nobody's ever said that to you, right? No. It's absurd. <laughs> it's so absurd. 
if, if it takes me from my six iron down to my driver, I evolve from my iron design to a hybrid design, to a fairway wood design, to a driver design, to optimize performance as loft changes four and five degrees in, se- in sequence. But I'm going to take that six iron design with a low CG and a thin face and foam filling, and I'm going to apply that same concept all the way up to 50 degrees. It, it makes no sense. You, the, that, that technology was designed to produce a great 26 to 30 degree golf club. It works pretty good at 30 to 35 degrees. When you get up into the high 30s and low 40s, the golf shot is an entirely different thing. You don't want high flight with low spin with an iron in your hand. You want penetrating flight with lots of spin. And that takes a different club head design. And that's what Edison is all about is let's design to perform at that loft for the average guy. And, you know, and we don't worry about the tour player. The other guys can take care of them. They're fine. Yeah. No, I mean, look, you're you're spot on. You're, you just described my bag, man. I have a uh, a big box retailer. I, I wouldn't call it big box, right? Um, uh, PXG. I'm a big fan of PXG. I've been playing them for a decade. I have a gap wedge uh, in my bag, and I can hit that gap wedge about 115 yards on a dime, right? But it doesn't spin like my Edison wedges, right? So if all I'm trying to do is get 120 yards out of a club, that's a perfect club for me. But if I have to hold a tight green or, or for whatever reason, I need to put some spin on the ball, I can't use that club. Well, I can use it, but it, I'm, I'm going to get what I get, right? Um, so the, the, the wedges, you know, for me, it's just it's all about, especially with our – we have 4,400 students now, man. And it's about controlling the golf ball, right? You only get one chip shot, right? If you're, if you're taking two chips to get to the green, you got a problem, right? You're, now, now you're playing catch-up. So we got to be able within a hundred, hundred yards, we got to be able to get to that green and make that ball stick. And your best opportunity with, before that is a higher lofted club, right? Um, Terry, why don't we talk about not only do you make phenomenal clubs, right? But you got a great experience, if you would, from a customer experience, right? You let people try the clubs. You, you let people trade in clubs. You have a guarantee. Um, why, why don't we talk about some of that? Well, I'm a and and that's great. And I, I've always believed that, you know, I can maybe buy a driver and a launch monitor. I can buy it by the numbers. Uh, I can maybe even do a set of irons that way. I can get it by the numbers. But when I get into to wedges, I'm I, you as a golfer get ready to plunk down your money for wedges. You have to put that golf club out on the golf course, hitting the shots that that you face every round. So my first thing is, you know, let's put a risk-free trial. We know how good our golf club is. We know if you give it a fair trial, we're going to win. And we just know that. Uh, And so it's a matter of, uh, and the only time we don't win, we get about one and a half percent of our wedges back. People say it didn't work for me. What typically that means is I was looking for a miracle and I didn't get one. (laughs) I mean, I can't turn you from a crummy wedge player to a good wedge player by selling you a better golf club. Right. But I can make your not so good shots more like your best ones. That's really the promise we can deliver on. And I can precisely build your wedges to have the right shaft in them, the right line angles, the right length, the right swing weights, the right grips. And, uh, you know, to give you a full custom experience. But if you take this golf club and you pick a loft, you know, whether you need help with your gap wedge or, you know, your mid-range sand wedge or lob wedge, you take it to the golf course and give it a fair trial. And, and you're, it's going to stick. You're going to find out this is something different. Um, and 
one of the things we get a lot now is like, well, you know, your wedge doesn't look like anybody else's wedge. Well, I can't make it look like everybody else's wedge and all, and then perform differently. And, you know, the, you've been in golf a long time as I have every technological breakthrough in golf has required us to get used to something different. Metal woods versus persimmon, the ping answer versus 8802s and bullseyes, yeah, cavity yeah. back irons versus blades, hybrids versus long irons, these new spaceship putters that they've kind of replaced blades, you know, graphite versus steel shaft, steel versus hickory. Every time there's been a quantum leap in technology and performance, it has required us to get used to looking at something different. And, um, so, you know, and the Edison wedges are, are, are no different than that. And address, they're classic. They look clean. You've seen them. But, you know, the back of that golf club does not look like anybody else's wedge because I wanted it to perform different yeah. than everybody else. Yeah, let me let me stop you there, though. You know, cause they can't see it on the podcast here. But it's still a great-looking club, right? It, it's not like you have to, you know, sacrifice um, aesthetics, right? I mean, these uh, these sit in my bag and everyone, you know, wow, those, those are nice looking. I even had them custom painted, right? So – they match my bag and everything, and then they they clean up well and they look great in the bag, right? So it's not it's, like there's some other tech picture of that. But you know something else that, and you mentioned this earlier in our conversation, you see a lot of golfers, and they're coming in and they've got you know two or three hybrids in their bag because they're easier to hit than long irons. They've got some kind of game improvement iron in their bag. They they bailed out on blades or they've never even hit blades because they don't have that kind of game, and yet they've got a you know, a Vokey, a Cleveland, Callaway, you know, they've got some tour design wedge. And I would invite you to, to do this in, in on your own and see this for yourself with your launch monitor. But take a take a classic tour blade peak club, as I call it. When when the loss got below 48, there's no longer really a wedge. So I call it the peak club. But um and take a classic blade peak club and and if you have a turf, if you have a map that lets you are live turf where you can hit a variety of lives, hit 20 or 25 balls with that and then 20 or 25 balls with one of the top tour design wedges out there. And you'll see that the tour blade nine iron or peak club is actually more forgiving, throws a tighter pattern than the tour wedge. So this guy's carrying cavity back irons and he's trying to play tour wedges. And that's the finickiest club out there. And so I, I was just doing a con having a conversation with somebody the other day, and they said, "Well, why wouldn't all the tours go for players go for this?" And I think the reason is tour players want predictability on their wedges. They spend half of their practice time on their wedge game, and the other half divided between the rest of their bag. These guys have exquisite skills, and they know how to hit a shot thirty five feet six different ways. And if you hand them a wedge like mine. And they hit the 35 foot shot, but it goes 39. They're going to hand it back and say, I, don't, I can't do this. Yeah. Or spend. And the biggest thing is these guys spin the ball phenomenally. And the Edison wedge design bumps spin up measurably for recreational golfers. The tour player doesn't need 15% more spin. In fact, he wouldn't know how to keep a ball on a green if he had that. These guys are trying to take spin off the ball on most of the shots because they hit it hard. They're going to get spin. And where I've seen such a huge difference with our customers, I'm working with a couple of women's uh, college golf teams, you know, and, and these are, you know, division two, II, division three, they're not getting the elite players. And these, these girls are talented. They're, you know, mid 70, low 70 shooters, but they don't have a club head speed to really spin the ball. And they can with this wedge. And I had a little session 
at one of the universities last week. And these girls were just, you know, their eyes were just bugged out because they're going, I, I don't spend the ball like that. So, well, that's because of the golf club you're playing. Um, and the other thing I see that's real interesting in those kind of encounters is graphite shafts in the iron, 60, 70, 80 gram graphite in the irons and off the shelf wedges with 120, 130 gram steel shaft. You've right. got such right. a massive field disconnect where you need feel the most. So I've always been a big believer in what I call the seamless transition. That that transition from your nine to your P to your gap to your sand, that transition needs to be smooth and seamless where those clubs all feel alike. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so funny. You mentioned like a testing if, environment, if you would. We um At all of our facilities, we use a lot of data. And um, even on our outdoor facilities, we have TrackMan or we have um, Top Tracer and then we have um, True Swing, right? So we have the top tracer monitor that shows the ball flight and, and elementary data. But then we have the true swing behind us that gives us, you know, everything that a tour player looks at. And we ask players just to hit um, seven shots. So Terry, they hit seven shots, right. Um, with their current wedge and we, on the top tracer, it'll be a red flight if you would. And then we'll change it for the next club and we'll bring out an Addison wedge and we'll say, okay, now hit seven shots with this. Right. And it's amazing and now it's a blue line. And what's amazing is, is that the shot, the dispersion pattern normally is a little tighter. The ball seems to go a little higher. The distances are almost always the same or a little bit further. So they, they look at it and they're like, wow, this feels kind of cool. But then they look at the, the top tracer data, right? And they don't see an alarming difference, right? And then I show them the spin rates. And I'm like, what you can't see, because that ball's going 100 and it's into a driving range, 100 yards and into a driving range is that ball is hitting and stopping, right? Um, as opposed to their shots that are hitting and bouncing another five, seven yards, right? So, um, and then that's all they need to see. And then we take them and we say, hey, take these out, go to your local club if you would, and hit some into a green, hit some 50-yard shots, hit some 70-yard shots. And to your point earlier, first of all, we've never had, imagine we've never had a customer return one of your products, but they always come back and like, all right, well, which one do you think I should start with or should I get all three? You know, it's like yeah. that's that's exactly what ends up happening. And that's just in seven shots, right? So the products absolutely speak for themselves. Um, Terry, we're coming down to the end here. Why don't we talk a little bit about the future, if you would? You know, you're definitely one of the the patriarchs, if you would, in the space. Um, where, where, do you, where do you see not only Edison going, but where do you see the industry going? Um, as far as wedges are concerned, well, you know, I think that the industry, the the big the big brands, I think, are held back by their tour players because, as I was just saying, the tour player wants predictability, and he's got a cumulative learning curve that he's built over the last ten or fifteen, twenty, thirty years with wedges that essentially haven't changed much. I mean, if you go back, I've got a picture that I share with people of the two wedges that Ben Hogan personally delivered to Jack Fleck at the 1955 U.S. Open. And these wedges bear a remarkable resemblance to what's on the shelves right now. I mean, it's the least evolved category. And I think the big reason for that is because tour players, they they can't afford to relearn their short game every two years when a new model comes out. Mm. You know, and, and if you look at, so, I mean, look at Tiger Wood, for example, the greatest player of the modern generation. And you look at his irons he's playing today that Taylor made made for him are identical to the Nike blades, to the Titus blades that he played when he was an amateur. And, and because he doesn't want those irons to change because he's got a cumulative 
million hours of of learning how to shape the ball, how to flight it up and down. And he does he wants predictability. And he does these guys can't afford for you to be changing the scoring part of their game every time they turn around. Um, you know, because their their learning curve is cumulative. So I, I think wedges will continue to be the least evolved, though though I'm I'm flattered and and humbled basically, but flattered to see every brand out there over the last two to four years has been putting a little more mass on the top of their blades. I can tell you if you put a caliper on them, none of them are as thick as my Reed Lockhart blades were wedges were in the 1990s yeah. because yeah. They, they're held back by their tour guy. I mean, the tour guy doesn't want spin rates to change dramatically. And when you move weight around, you dramatically change spin rates, as you just noted from your testing. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, Edison, I'm, I'm already working on another generation of some really interesting internal technologies that that are showing some promise. I don't have any release date on that. I don't have an urge to have a new model every two years or whatever, like the big brands. Um, when I, when I prove this is better than the Edison 2.0, then I'll start thinking about the calendar right now. I'm kind of having fun just seeing what this new technology can do. Um, but, but I don't see wedges. I think the real opportunity is in wedge instruction, mm. short name instruction. You, you, noted a while ago, when you have a wedge in your hand for the second consecutive shot, that hole is getting lost really quick. You know, when you put a wedge in your hand, the next shot should always be a putt, always. Um, and, uh, but, you know, don't be, don't be kind of misled by how good the tour guys are because you see them stuff these wedge shots to two and three and four feet, you know, all the time. But, the average distance from 100 to 125 yards on the PJ Tour is over 20 feet. So that means for every one of those, they're stuffed into two feet. They're hitting several more that are 25, 28, 30 feet away. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and people think that they stuff it like that all the time. I was, and I had somebody challenge me on that, saying, but yeah, but watch TV. I said, well, first of all, you're watching the guys that are hitting their wedges the best this week. But if, if 144 guys tee it up on Thursday, you know, they're hitting – eight or nine, 10 wedge shots around today because they hit it so far. So, you know, there's 1,500 wedge shots a a day for two days. So there's 3,000 wedge shots. And then the field gets cut in half. So there's another 3,000 wedge shots or 1,500 wedge shots the next two days. So out of 4,500 wedge shots hit this week, the TV is showing you 10 or 15 that are really good. (laughs) So, you know, these guys don't stuff it down the flag every time. No, Um, it's it's a great point. Um, sorry to interrupt you, man. I, you know what I was so happy that you didn't say, Terry, is that the wedges are going to get bigger. You know, when, when I see some of these manufacturers, you know, and I'm not against any manufacturer, right? And they all have good intentions, right? But to me, a larger wedge, a higher toe wedge, whatever these this latest tech, just because the club's bigger, to your earlier point, doesn't mean you're going to hit a better shot. <laughs> Here's an idea. Try to hit the club or hit the ball in the center of the club, and you'll hit a better shot. You know, not not out on the not out on the toe, high up on the toe, because you got more mass there now. That just so that so I'm so happy that you you didn't say that, Rand. So I don't um, think they can get bigger because I think that defeats the purpose of shot making. And you know, the other thing I think that I kind of laugh at is the the full face grooves thing. If you hit the ball that far out on the toe, it doesn't really matter whether they're grooves there or not. That's a really bad golf shot. I don't care whose wedge you're playing. You know, if you miss the whole two inch wide scored area of the club face, you're not going to get much out of that golf shot. (laughs) That's exactly right. Well, Terry, look, man, uh, I always enjoy talking to you, man. And I love the company, love everything you've done in golf. 
Um, it's Edison Golf. What? It's Edison.com or is it EdisonGolf.com? EdisonWedges.com. EdisonWedges.com. Um, check it out. Um, order yourself. They got all kinds of deals. Um, they got an email list. Um, they got training on there. They got a lot of stuff on there. If you want to improve your wedge game, I highly, highly recommend. They're the only wedge company that we endorse at Imagine. Um, and and our customers know full full board. We don't. We only. Dare I think we uh, endorse like six products, man. Right. So that's it, man. And that includes training aids, man. So six out of the the millions that are out there. So uh, I think that's a that says a lot about the product. Um, I personally use them. I've used them for years um, in the different iterations that Terry talked about today. So uh, and now I'm super glad, Terry, because I used to have to go over eBay and scour to find a score wedge that wasn't all beat up, and then order that. And that was yeah. never e- easy to do, man. So um, in closing, Terry, any comments or questions or anything? I just you know I I love having these kind of conversations, Daniel, and and educating golfers about what really makes a golf club work, and um, you know, and and certainly appreciate your uh, your fandom uh, for us and and your support of what we're doing and. Um, you know, just uh, just keep up the good work there and, and love to come back on anytime you want to talk about more nuances and, um, you know, talk about wedge performance, wedge play, wedge technique. Um, you guys give a lot of lessons and I'm very involved in in the whole technique of the wedge of the wedge play because every golfer can get better inside 60 or 80 yards. I mean, there's not a streak thing going on there. And, you know, seniors and ladies and, and beginners. I'm just the biggest fan. Get your game right inside 60 yards, and and it will pay off in all of your golf game. Because what you're doing through impact at 60 yards is is exactly what you need to be doing with the driver or five iron in your hand. So, and but but that's where you take the golf course apart. You know, is inside 60 or 80 yards. You know, if you can score from there, get up and down in three shots almost every time, and two shots sometime, all of a sudden your scores are going to really drop. Yeah, that's well said. Well, Terry, we got to get you down to one of our facilities for uh, a demo day. We talked about that last year. Just the timing wasn't right. But um, this season, we'll have you come out and do a demo day at one of our facilities. So, um, That'd be great. Yeah, excellent. All right, folks. Well, that's all we have for the podcast today. Thanks for tuning in. Please hit the follow button wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to check us out at ImagineGolf.com. And you can follow us on all the social media platforms. We're on them all. So, as always, here's to getting you the game that you've always imagined. All right, Terry, have a good